Hello, hello! Welcome to the Vibe Fashion News, the podcast where you can get to know everything about the fashion industry. Here we will interview fashion designers, influencers, models, photographers, shop owners, you name it. And what for? To learn their insights, their stories and the lessons they learn along the way. I'm your host, Araceli Gallego, recording from Dubai. And today we have with us Sophie Cook and Brooke Boishao. They are the masterminds behind the fashion and lifestyle PR agency called Ateline. They are going to share with us how fashion PR works, what strategies work in the region and how to start even if you have no budget for PR or advertising. And one more thing, how is it to work with Hollywood celebrities? Yep, because that is one of the things they do. Ateline has a showroom in LA and they work with top celebrities like Kim Kardashian or Cara Delevingne. This podcast is full of insights. So stay put, don't go anywhere. The interview starts right now. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Brooke. Hi. How are you, girls? A lot of designers follow this podcast. I'm super excited to have you here because we have a lot of questions for you. We want to understand how the fashion PR works Brilliant. and how it can help grow and expand any given brand reach so <laughs> we have so many questions but Excellent. first i want to know a little a little bit more about you about both of you how did you start adeline so we actually met together through mutual friends um, and got introduced and by complete chance ended up working together for one year so we got together and I don't even know when the conversation happened but we decided to start Ateline and um, just because close to the coffee machine yeah. probably <laughs> <What's> <laughs> <going> exactly <laughs> and we basically realized that from working together we had sort of the perfect skill set that complemented each other so my background is completely fashion uh -huh. I started in London um, for many years an agency and in-house and then went to Milan uh, in-house and then ended up in the Middle East working for a couple of agencies um, so yeah fashion through and through and, and my yours? background is a little yeah. bit different well I uh, started my career in Australia which is where I'm from and I worked across the board so I, I was uh, working with a lifestyle corporate agency so I really got my finger in every pie um, during that time so I did education fashion hospitality banking real estate um, I, wow, I did everything. A, bit, a little bit of everything <laughs> um, and then really when I came to Dubai I started to niche a little bit more and focus more on the corporate angles um, with lifestyle clients mm -hmm. um, and hospitality but just looking more at the business side of things which was also interesting so that's something that I can also bring to the table um, in terms of Sophie and my dynamic right. Sophie having a very strong fashion background and me yes. bringing more of that corporate element yeah it's a powerful mix because at the yeah, end yeah, of the day when you are looking outside the box it's, it's very interesting what you get to see right it's <laughs> something that is not so who does what then within the agency? Do you have like roles or so, something? Yeah, no, we don't have roles. We are literally <laughs> doing everything together. Um, we work on all clients together. We don't separate anything at all. Um, not even from the sort of behind the scenes running of the business. It's all done as a team. I suppose, again, to reiterate what you just asked, what is a little bit different is our skill set that comes together. So we have certain strengths that we bring to the table and we will lead particular strategies, but always 
with the full support of the other one. So it's um, really about sitting down and we divide and conquer. So we have our lists, we have our, you know, we, we know what our priorities are and it's, it's just a matter of delegating between us and getting your hands dirty. Right. Nothing's off limits though, <laughs> which is a great way to learn a lot more. I mean, we're, we're learning yeah. more and more every day. Yeah, 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 definitely. But you're a very niche PR agency. You do mostly fashion and lifestyle only right now, right? Yeah, it's about 90% fashion and then 10% lifestyle, let's say. Wow. Um, Many brands don't know what they can expect from a PR agency. How do you pitch your services when they are not sure really what PR can do for them? Well, I think when we started Ateline, we definitely said to ourselves we're going to be specialists at what we do we're a fashion agency and then the few lifestyle brands we have perfectly sit alongside fashion brands so it's the same target audience for example so we can add a different sort of dimension to their usual market for example one's a floristry brand Mm -hmm. and it sits very well um but ultimately the most important thing for us as an agency is to be specialists. So if a brand's looking for an agency, I'd say, look at what the strengths are of that agency. Are you a fashion brand? Are you automotive? Are you looking for more corporate outreach? Um, in the Middle East, a lot of agencies do sort of coin themselves as lifestyle agencies, mm-hmm. but do try delve a lot deeper and find out what they're actually specialists or most well-known for. For example, is it food and beverage, which is completely different to fashion? Right, right, right. But how do you convince, for example, a fashion brand or a fashion designer that is starting that actually you need PR to grow, to expand your reach, to be able to get more visibility with buyers and with other shops? Maybe that you know. How do you convince them if they are not quite, if they don't, if they don't understand what is PR in? in I think, that, I think that most of the time it's not about us walking in and convincing anybody. Usually, uh, well, all the brands that we work with currently or have worked with in the past have recognized that there is a gap in terms of their communication okay. and that they're lacking in something in terms of their reach uh, to, to their audience. And so the conversation, you know, is already warm. And then it's a matter of us really unpacking the strategies that we can uh you know, deploy in order to really fill those gaps and and help them to become stronger in those areas where Mm -mm. they may be uh, lacking. Mm -mm. One thing that we do try to do is seek out those already internationally established brands Mm -hmm. that basically align very well with the brand that is Ateline. So we have some very cool LA brands or Aussie brands that perfectly sit within our portfolio. So if we see... Um, a brand that is having a lot of um, position within the market in terms of retail, we will approach them if we know they don't have representation and say, are you seeking any support? Because you have to grasp those moments and you know they're launching here. Mm -hmm. So it's both both ways. You approach certain clients that you think will sit well on your portfolio and also you receive uh, clients that actually are looking for your services. So it's both Exactly. I mean, ultimately way down the line we'd love to just make sure that each brand sits very nicely with other brands and it's one very tight cohesive portfolio that has the same sort of ethos and style Mm -hmm. what kind of questions or objectives uh, do your clients need to have in mind when actually are looking for a PR I mean the questions and objectives are the most important bit the first meeting we take with a potential client or 
a client that is now signed on is what are your main objectives what are you hoping to get out of this mm-hmm. and we have to tailor the strategy to fit it but also manage expectations because it's a process of building awareness and once you have awareness then you drive sales mm-hmm. um so some of the brands you work for for example um might only be online or social media focused mm-hmm. so print media relations doesn't resonate as well so it's looking at where they're trying to drive their sales where they've had success before and so on okay so it's a, it's a very detailed conversation and the proposal needs to reflect that and you will talk to them walk them every step. because yeah. do you find that maybe some clients don't really know what they want <laughs> definitely <laughs> i think that i mean ultimately most clients are looking to impact the bottom line yeah of course that's that's the purpose of any communication strategy really is to lift sales um But it can vary. We do have a couple of clients who are purely interested in profile raising in terms of increasing sales isn't necessarily their main focus, but they'd like to build their profile publicly so that when they have potential clients who are you know researching their options, they have a, a very public face. Right. Um, like but they're sure. not necessarily looking to really drive sales. However, other clients, yes, it's all about we need to get you know foot traffic through the door uh-huh. so mm-hmm. it will depend how is PR fashion different from other sectors fashion like Brooke you were working before in all the now you are in, fa- in the fashion PR how is it different I think well it's it's very different really if you're if you're wanting to discuss something like banking or real estate <laughs> um, PR for fashion is a very visually driven mm-hmm. uh, you, it's, it's, it's very visual um, it's often about really engaging influencers, celebrities, it's about, you know, fashion shoots, it's about um, product seeding, that sort of thing, as opposed to communicating, you know, corporate messaging purely through, you know, broadsheet newspapers and, and you know, me, you know media outlets. Uh, that goes even towards the events where you might, if you had a real estate event, you might be sort of having a mingling style event. Mm-mm. In fashion, it would more often not be like a runway show and it's visual we're not asking you to necessarily engage but to to be present and to view it mm-hmm. so and also in terms of like the basics down to your office it's a showroom it's not just an office yeah um, you do a lot of sample seeding a lot of gifting it's a lot of product <laughs> <laughs> exactly. okay um, also the market here is different from back home um, besides the language the Arabic What are those differences market-wise? Probably the biggest difference in the market is that when you have international brands you're looking after, their head office isn't here. So if you're working in Milan or London or New York mm-hmm. or Sydney, for example, mm-hmm. you'll be working usually in the head office. But here, because it's an emerging market and brands are expanding into the region most of the time rather than setting up, especially yeah. the most established ones, Um, you're working into an international team, so you're having to align your strategy not just for the mar- this market, but also to make sure that it um, reflects it's, what's happening internationally. So, so it appears within the whole strategy kind of thing. Exactly. To, uh, exactly. And you also, um, I think you're dealing with a less established media landscape in this region, purely because of the fact that everything is brand new it's it's brand new exactly (laughs) so that that's quite a key difference and and sophie often likes to to chat to clients about the differences in terms of the gcc market uh, who are looking to penetrate you know 
markets within different countries that sit mm-hmm. in this region. And that's also something that you need to very much keep in mind as an international brand coming in is that there are very, very subtle yet um, important cultural nuances and political differences. And, you know, we've seen recently that there are things that can happen that can really play a big um, role in how things develop develop yeah, so like Qatar for example exactly right now. yeah exactly some of our brands they do a lot of events um in LA or Australia for example and then they say they want to roll out a series of events obviously within this market that reiterate their message internationally but if you do an event in Dubai you can do it in a beautiful hotel suite or buy a pool but if you do an event in Saudi a Saudi woman most definitely could not go to a hotel by herself so you'd probably ask one of your key customers to host it in their house Kuwait again it's not about hotels it's about interesting sort of I say sort of little corners of the city where Mm -hmm. you can take it over and host events so each country is so different and it's making sure that you don't just bundle up the GCC as one or try to um do a sort of cookie cutter approach. This is what they did in Milan, so this is what's going to work in the Middle East. Because it's not it the case. It's not the it's case. It's definitely it, not the case. It won't work the same way, exactly. right? Exactly. So, what PR strategies uh, do you think work here in this market? So, social media is definitely a huge um, tool for us to monopolize on. So, to sort of go back towards Saudi, yeah. Um, a lot of the women don't have as much access as we do in terms of just jumping in the car and going to the mall or going to the cinema or seeing you know advertisements as easily so things like twitter and instagram are everything on their phone that is their access to outside world so when it comes to anything digital the Middle East for the Middle East this is so important the growth here is amazing Everything it's huge digital is amazing and especially in terms of even media relations where you know you have the Vogue's and the Harper's and the L's and they're so popular internationally and to have a lot of kudos you know they are important here but ultimately some of the Arabic online platforms are massive massive I mean have such huge circulation and influence yeah. um, so this is something really important for us to focus on and to be honest internationally it's already happening and strategies are developing yeah. this way but it's nice to see the middle east at the you know yeah. the top of it catching up because at the end of the not day even that somewhat leading i would say yeah 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 it's true even leading but uh, it was it was not that long ago really exactly. that it started so we kind of like quantum leap in no. here right or um you say you work based on international agency standards what is that so obviously The Middle East is quite a new market, which means that there's a lot of opportunity. And so what sort of kick-started Brooke and I to say, we're going to do our own agency and we're going to do it in this way, was because we felt there's a little bit of lacking of international standards. Okay. And they're very, very simple. And if you go to London or New York, this they will be like, of course we do this. Yeah. But here it's, it's like something different. Yeah. The Bible. <laughs> so But the what fir- is it really? The first what one is it? that we're niche. We focus on one speciality, and like we said, that's fashion with a little mm-hmm. bit of luxury lifestyle on the side. Um, we only have three to four clients per team. Very important. Mm-hmm. Um, never, you know, there's a lot that have 10 to 20, and it's, you know... How the, did they manage so many um, clients all at once? Well, it kind of leads to the third thing, uh, because a lot of the time agencies will take on projects. We don't take on any projects, oh. only full-time retainers, which means that oh. we are having our client make a sort of step that they're going to be consistent, that they're very, um, 
interested and have thought through the fact that they're going to need PR and they understand that to have any success on your bottom line, you need to have a consistent voice and presence. And ultimately, we're then not getting distracted by projects coming in for three months or six months. Mm -hmm. We're always giving the same attention to our clients, which means that they're on certain retainer fees, which means that we have consistent employees and teams Mm. don't change. because when they work, when they sorry, but I, when they work like based on projects, it's like maybe there is a, a new product launch or something of the sort. They do that and then that's finished. That's exactly. It. So and then after there is no follow up, there is no PR agency taking care. A lot of the time, what might be a request to give you an example would be that we would get um, a brand or an entity saying we're about to launch let's say a handbag as an example and we would like to do a big event um and invite all the influencers and media and we'll do you know two months of pr beforehand to sort of generate some sort of interest and buzz and communication about that event and then we'll do you know two weeks afterwards post event follow-up so you might end up max like a four-month project but ultimately it has no impact because in six months no one will remember that event right. another one will come and we're looking to work and we are working with brands who have a consistent presence in the market um that really are at the stage that they need pr and um yeah yeah so it's very so important to us the uh, international agency standards would be you have a team that is consistent you don't work on projects basically is retainer really? based so it's a client that is all the time there yeah then uh, what was the other one I forgot already niche. so no, no projects no projects we're a niche agency niche exactly. and we only have three to four clients per team so it's those three things those three. so it's not that complicated not at complicated at all but uncompromising oh yeah very <laughs> uncompromising <laughs> how can emerging designers or brands select the right PR for them what kind of criteria should they follow? Like when, because not everyone is for everyone, right? Not Absolutely. Like how, what, what would be your advice? So the best thing for any sort of brand or company that's looking for an agency is really to just do some online research, mm-hmm. especially in this region, because we just said it's such a big presence. Mm-hmm. And really look at, especially on their social media platforms, what they seem to be posting a lot about. Is it F&B? Is it automotive? And then just set up meetings. You'll really get to know people and whether or not they're the right fit for your brand by meeting them face to face. Mm -hmm. And if you sort of slept to sort of three in the end, then go away and do your research. Go and ask some media. Go and ask people if they've heard about them. Do your due diligence, really. And I think another important thing is to ensure that, because you may really click with the uh, the team that you meet with initially. Mm-hmm. However, what sometimes can can happen just because of internal restructuring within you know an agency and realizing actually this person would be better sat here and mm-hmm. you know a little bit of rejigging, you can potentially end up with other consultants, let's call right. them, um, who you maybe didn't meet initially, mm-hmm. and it won't be the same team. Uh, that you expected that you'd be working with so you really want to ensure that you have that cohesion with you know between client and consultant because ultimately these are the people that are running your account and they're your day-to-day contact and you really need to to get one another they're representing you 
there yeah. we always say we're an extension of your team we're not just an agency so we when we go out and pitch about you we are the face of your brand so you need to be happy that you think yeah we are the would right you fit. hire this it's, person it's, if exactly. it would be exactly so it's not it's not the banner of ateline necessarily representing you it's actually the individuals brooke and sophie who are your mouthpiece right so you need to ensure that you click yeah and you trust them right exactly. and then there's just some basic things i mean to make sure they give you a proposal very importantly that they give you deliverables which means they're sort of kpis that they say we're going to achieve oh, that's this what you were saying before that you do a lot of questions and you make exactly. sure the objectives are and then this is part of the proposal when you exactly so we have back. aligned expectations so we know that we're going to agree to give you 20 pieces of coverage and 50 influences or whatever it might mm-hmm, be within mm-hmm. a certain time frame and you actually have something to work towards a lot of the time in pr it's really hard to quantify and that's where clients struggle so we work so transparently because of that and you can quantify where we know how much coverage we can get for a brand we know where it will fit that we're meant to be experts so you should be able to put that onto paper that's that's very good so everything so the proposal needs to be super clear and they need to be happy with it make sure it's aligned with what you really want with what you are looking for and then go ahead with that exactly yeah. and we, th- we also think it's it's fair to to build to build in a trial period with the agency that you're working with um it's quite a sensible approach to take just to ensure that you do i mean three months isn't enough time to, to begin really seeing true results and that's why we don't work on three-month projects right it's a, it how, has how to be a minimum you, of how six long to, do you need we i mean we always work on something. year we, we begin on yearly retainers yearly and okay. And then we will sort of reassess at the end of that period. But we do feel like a three-month uh, trial phase is enough time to understand whether you, you work well with your team and vice versa. Right. It gives the agency... And see results. Much, and see results. Yeah, I mean, you should be starting to see results, of course, but that, that true impact on, on your sales isn't something that is really going to come to light necessarily until further down the track. Then again, sometimes a story is published and you'll see a spike, Right. you know immediately or there may be an influencer engagement campaign which is rolled out across you know a two-week period and you know there will be a dramatic um, impact Mm -hmm. so it it really does depend but I think yeah it's it's worthwhile for people looking at PR and looking to work with new teams to what happened when the, the designer or the brand is very new and doesn't have too much money to spend on PR we would say what would you suggest that like okay you start and build up to here and then from here you should be able to we have a lot of brands that sometimes approach us even some internationally established ones where they're just not in a position yet to start pr Mm -hmm. and we try to be very honest so international ones usually the scenario is that they're not stocked in enough places they don't have enough of a presence okay and then sort of let's say regional emerging brands will be that they're not established enough in terms of their collateral and consistency being sort of lifestyle images cut out having a really strong brand identity and key messages and so on so i would say if you're sort of tight on the purse strings to really think about do you need pr yet have a focus on your social media on your instagram internally build awareness digitally yourself as a brand establish some sort of presence and then reach out. And it might be the case that you actually work with a freelancer rather than an agency mm-hmm. to do it. Um, we Again, we would advise against projects. That's usually what brands do. They go, okay, I'll, I'll work with someone for three months or four months because that's what 
what my yeah. budget's going to allow, but ultimately it won't touch your bottom line. So if you're looking for brand awareness, fine. You know, you can get, yeah. you know, three months worth of some coverage, but it will just be nice to put on your website or to put on your social media. It's a bit of brand awareness. It's not going to drive results. And this is where a lot of people miss some sometimes the point of the PR mm -mm, it takes mm -mm. a bit of time unfortunately so then in case that they are not yet ready then at least they should definitely focus on social media because especially here in this market there's a lot of emerging designers that they're just very you know like they're they're stand, they're starting maybe they just finish at this mod or band or uh, amity and they they want to start their See, see if they yeah. can actually make a living out of uh, designing mm. and um, creating fashion. But it's very difficult and normally they're uh, being helped by family and friends. And mm. it's kind of like, exactly. like yeah. oh, how do I get a budget? There's definitely, there's definitely things that they can do. I mean, just because you don't have a robust budget to spend on PR doesn't mean that you can't do, you can't, you yeah. know, try and dabble in, in the market and and see what sort of re response you do get. The, the key thing is if you are going to begin playing with some PR tactics and it might be someone that you work with internally um, within your small team that may have to be a little bit of a jack of all trades mm -hmm. um, but you can there are things you can do I mean young designers essentially have very fertile networks within you know their cohorts and there are ways in which they can find uh, strategies to collaborate with people within their networks mm -hmm. um, whether it be events or small yeah. strategic partnerships or uh, some key influences that they may have very good relationships with or that they can reach out to. It may not be um, a really uh, comprehensive program. However, they may be able to start champion championing certain people who really yeah. begin to endorse that brand from the beginning and can help them project their, you know, some brand awareness across yeah, This is interesting. What do you think about influencers and how important they have become in the Middle East? Their influences are very important because social media is important. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, influences, it's, also, it's always about trying to pick the right influences for the brand. Right. And it's not a blanket approach. So sometimes trying to find the influences that will talk to the Kuwaiti community or the Emiratis or the Saudis are going to be very different and that's something to keep in mind. We have, as Ateline, realised that we don't feel that influences within this market necessarily impact your bottom line enough and that's why we have taken on LA and doing celebrity seeding as well. Oh, oh you do that? So okay, now you need to tell so me it's, more uh, about it's, that. it's a, you know, a nice balanced approach. You need to, you yeah. know, be careful about your social media campaigns. So then the influencers here, they may not impact your sales, but they they create a lot of work. They certainly do. And some will certainly have an impact on sales i think it's about um the right strategy that is also supported with your media relations and you have your strategic partnerships yeah, and you have your social media and then you bu you build in the influences that are going to be properly aligned with your brand and that are you know when you're making those deals that you ensure you understand what the deliverables are from that influencer and that they're going to really package your brand uh, with the voice that and, and brand image that you, you're seeking to project, mm -hmm. which is really important. There are yeah. some fantastic ones here. And also, if you can create interesting mechanisms to get them involved in a campaign, it can be so successful. Yeah, and it's definitely, yeah, yeah, of <laughs> and it's definitely about building those longer-term relationships with influencers rather than, you know, the one-off kind of posts, which might not really have uh -huh. much of an impact at all. It sort of gets lost in the feed after it's 
after it's been published and then it's on to the next the next yeah. best thing so that's where building those sort of brand ambassadors through your influencer networks is quite effective because it's a consistent um you're having a consistent present presence on their platforms and yeah. and access to their audience um on a longer term basis we do have at least two clients who we solely focus on influencers really? with them. and it's mm. so successful and that's how they drive sales um so it definitely definitely works well, for um, those clients it must be very key to have the right the right influence. exactly, exactly. And we go very through listen, edit it edit it up it has to reflect the brand for sure and the, these are international clients who will have their teams maybe in LA who sit and they will tease through lists that we may have you know established as as an initial hundred and then they will come back with all of their comments and they'll go through meticulous and it might go through three rounds of of um, I suppose edits from within the headquarters and then you'll come back with a very very tailored list of people who are only spot on in terms of um, who they're looking to align with so yeah it's it's a lot of <laughs> take it very seriously yes. yeah so yeah, they yeah. should so uh, tell me about this thing about LA celebrity endorsement so you you will work with people that maybe are gonna go on the red carpet kind of a thing yeah it's everything from like getting papped on the street to red carpet just depending on what your brand is um some of it might even be celebrities in photo shoots for publications mm-hmm. um or airport looks are a really big thing there <laughs> but we just realized that ultimately everyone is still looking to these a-list celebrities called hollywood celebrities um what they're wearing where they're going and yeah. what they're doing and even when they go to the groceries yeah, exactly. and, <laughs> and you know when you when you speak to some of the um you speak to some of the showrooms in los angeles and and stylists i mean these looks that you see heading to the grocery store and as if you mentioned the airport looks these aren't just incidentally they're not, they're not looks that have been thrown on by the celebrity these have been styled um occasionally of course Wow. <laughs> well, some of them look they're dressing like really themselves, like- <laughs> so, you know, like the Jacksons. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of thought going into this, and and this there's a whole market that exists that maybe people who aren't so privy to PR tactics necessarily know about. But ultimately, when you're seeing these girls in their street streetwear um, going between Starbucks and home, this is placement of brand placement and and paparazzi are then deployed and then you've got whole teams of people in these showrooms who are monitoring paparazzi websites 24 7 to ensure that the imagery is captured and and is then able to be distributed to to press accordingly so it's very tactical indeed but it's incredibly effective and what we need to think about in terms of our brands in the middle east who are looking to drive sales in this market as opposed to the US or you know broader internationally we need to tap into celebrities you know in Hollywood for example who resonate in the Middle East as opposed because there are so many names and there are many names in the states that we wouldn't necessarily even know about so it's about picking the big names like uh, paparazzi here or something all the shots are properly done the styling is is in a proper setup also that everything is very careful it's not like oh i'm going to do the groceries mm. yeah, like, yeah i mean I it's think not it's like that here is more prepared and i think it's what we like isn't it it's, it's only in la to be honest that's what they all live there that's why there's paparazzi but even if you're in like london or new york you don't have paparazzi yeah. unless it's an event they, they are animals in, in, in <laughs> la like I, I, I don't envy celebrities who are being chased down every move they make but yeah. it's it's this is, you know, it's interesting, the ecosystem. Um, 
well, they make a living out of it. Of also. course, so of they course. are part of it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be um, chased. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's an element of. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole different it's world. Like Big Brother, but. It's better yeah, than yeah, the city. Yeah. <laughs> than not being relevant for these people, I suppose. So, mm. yeah. You have a lot of clients, but within your clients, you have haute couture, accessories, handbags, and sunglasses, diamond jewels, uh, interior design and architecture, fashion school, shops, and flowers. Ready to wear. And ready to wear, true. And swimwear. And swimwear. Oh my God, so many. <laughs> <laughs> How can they help each other? Um, the different clients like with one another yeah we're always trying to find um, brand alignment and it's also about us making sure that when we develop our portfolio there's an element of consistency right. like I was telling yeah, you, you know, mentioned that the brands before, represent each other like, yeah. we see Atelier as a brand and we have a, a look and a style that might not be for everyone but we want the brands that we work with to reflect that and vice mm-hmm, versa. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we have Lala Queen, which is a handbag label, and we also have Esmond Dubai, the Fashion Institute. Mm-hmm. So, they, just as an example, they did a collaboration together where Lala Queen is bringing out their new geometric collection, and they went to Esmond Dubai to their undergraduate students and said, um, we would like to host sort of a course sort of workshop where they can design pieces in the hope that they could be part of the geometric collection that's so cool so yeah they chose three winners and the bags have just been produced and then they will end up being sold in stores lala queen stores as well as palette which is esmo Dubai's incubator mm-hmm. store and yeah it's just a very exciting collaboration supporting sort of young designers and um yeah, so there's lots of ways to do it. There's other there's other tricky ways to do it, such as, you know, we have a beautiful floristry yeah. client, Forever Rose, and sort of an example of how, you know, you may be able to align Forever Rose with perhaps an architecture client or an interior design client, where, where there is synergy between the two right. anyway, because flowers go in the home. But um, if they're looking to do a grand photo shoot to really beautifully present their collections, and um, we can then access some of the incredible uh, spaces that um, our, our interior designers have, um, yeah, have developed, cool. and there's a way in which we can both of them can they benefit. They can both benefit, from and of course, those images go to press, and it's so it's there's lots of there's lots of intricate ways in which you can collaborate between. Um, it's fun yeah strategic partnerships are such a big thing about what we do Mm -mm. usually they strategic partnerships would sit slightly outside of PR and would go towards more marketing but within this region they work so so well so we're always looking for brands within our portfolio that will align but also of course brands outside of it Tell me one thing, when you're talking about LA and stuff, do you also have offices in there or do you actually have the strategic partners there maybe that can help you do this? Or How does it work? So we're based out of Dubai mm-hmm. and look after the whole of the GCC. And then for LA, we have a showroom. Okay. And then we have team representing our brands who are in the showroom okay. and they get seeded and gifted. So those are our two main sort of on the ground presence. Okay. And then for some of our clients for Australia, London, Milan, right. they also have a presence being stores and so on. And we will do PR outreach and events for them there as well. But those are the areas. But then in London, you have also people, no? You no, will move. We travel there okay. and do it for them. Wow, wow. Well, that's very interesting. So in LA, then you have a showroom. Correct. So GCC designers can actually mm-hmm. have the possibility to be exactly. seen by a stylist in LA exactly. through exactly. your showroom. Yeah. So that's, that's the so biggest cool. difference, I'd say, 
about us and what we try to do is offer so this for celebrity outreach and successfully offer it of course so for example if they're not even if they'd if they'd rather veto pr uh you know energy here in this region they could actually have the option to just showcase in the showroom in in la and have access to stylists and seeding opportunities within the influencer networks in the states and you know work that way instead to see if if, you know yeah it depends on the brand because some brands some brands are very kind of like ucc oriented but there are some others that actually for here maybe it's to be avant-garde maybe or different basically the style is different and maybe actually could do better in in the uh, United States. You don't know, so it dep- all depends on, on where, how they're stocked and distributed and the you know, strategy. what their reach is. Yeah, the strategy. A lot right. of the time we will see the celebrity, the brand won't be stocked in the States, but we're just, all we're doing is taking that image and then we're placing it into the GCC to drive sales. Mm-hmm. So if you have a Kardashian wearing a where? pair of sunglasses, you're not stuck there and you bring the image to the GCC and you place it, it'll be everywhere. And then yeah. you sell sunglasses. Yeah, definitely. So, Whatever Kim touches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the strategy is, but there's lots of ways to do it. How, how, how is it to work with celebrities? How do you manage the celebrities or the stylist of the celebrities to go to your showroom and select? How does it work? How do you get that actually rolling? It's all relationships, exactly the same as doing media relations, influencer engagement in the Middle East strategic partnerships. So you're inviting celebrities or stylists or agents into the showroom. And there's two elements. A lot of it we do on a a loaning process. So they'll come and loan looks to Mm then be worn and return them. And then also there are some gifting elements where you'll gift them a piece um, to wear it. But how do you add them to your portfolio? Or for example, when your designer here says, oh, I want to be worn by Kim Kardashian, what we were saying, right? So do you have maybe Kim Kardashian within your portfolio? How can you add uh, her in your portfolio? How does... It's all networking. It's really? all related. PR is all relationships. Because ultimately, you're ne- we're never exchanging money. We're never buying your service. We're always asking you for a favor. So we're saying, you know, we've got this new dress we'd love you to wear. We think it's perfect for you. She'll come in, she'll loan it. Or we're gonna say, we're gonna gift you this dress. And it ends up being more of a barter deal. So there's no money exchanging hands, but it's all networking. It comes down to relationships. And the fact is as well, celebrities need to like the pieces that they're wearing. So it's not about forcing styles or looks on people that doesn't Mm. resonate with them. a big part about it is is having them fall in love with the piece yeah. and then and then they'll wear it and they'll rock it and you know they'll do it justice yeah it's true. and that's why it's so important like i said for us to make sure that our brands are cohesive and represent the brand who we are because ultimately we can't go to celebrities and try push something we wouldn't wear i don't believe in Mm-mm. like their our relationship is that they know broken safety know what my style is or we know they always have this style of brand so it's going to work quite well and so that's why we're always trying to get like very cool LA brands and Aussie labels that are internationally recognized, but definitely represent who we are. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, and that means you always have a relationship because you're always, you know, going above and beyond, giving them what they're looking for and you become a reliable source. Mm. And do we have, uh, well, UAE or GCC celebrities also to do endorsements? Um, Besides the influencers. There that are, I mean, there are, there are celebrities like singers or so on, but... In the true sense, I wouldn't say, I would say they're influencers, not celebrities. When we talk about celebrities to our client, we a celebrity has international outreach. So okay. if we wanted to put that image into Australia, Italy, the States, the they're Middle East, known. you know who they are. Yeah. So true. if 
that to us is a celebrity, but... When, when if, we say celebrity, we're thinking Hollywood celebrity. Right. That has international recognition. Right. So you even know, if, as you said, maybe you're not distributed in US, it doesn't matter because that person is exactly. so well known everywhere, doesn't need... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so to answer your question, in the uh, Middle East, we'd say we have influencers. More and very incredibly powerful influencers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are actually totally. directly... Um, infiltrating specific communities and have a huge voice there. So an influencer can sometimes have more power than a celebrity. But that's why I came back to the point earlier of saying you have to make sure that that influencer represents your brand correctly, True. is talking to the correct audience, and whether or not you're looking for you know, them to make sales or ge generate brand awareness. Yeah, it's very important to know, to have proper criteria to match exactly. the, right the right celebrity or influencer with the brand. 100%. Exactly that's a success or not <laughs> exactly share with us some of your successful stories to serve as inspiration so i guess one of our i will go for it but one of our biggest strategic partnerships i think has been forever rose at one of our clients mm -hmm. and we did it with disney Mm -hmm. so well with the beauty and the beast exactly right? well these roses I, I i don't know if everybody knows about the forever rose but i saw the first one in uh, City Walk, and it's like a rose, really literally like the Beauty and the Beast, and it's like, I don't know what, how they do it, but it will last forever, but mm -hmm. it's a natural rose, it's not exactly. plastic, and it's like holding there in the middle of the, like an urn, kind of like crystal yeah. glass, beautiful <laughs> looking thing, and it's like so amazing, very it magical. looks very magical. Exactly, it's so ultimately when the Beauty and the Beast um, sort of film was pending release, it became very obvious that, I mean, and we we all know the story of Beauty and the Beast yeah. is the childhood favourite of most yeah. know, small girls. <laughs> and um, it's a classic tale. Uh, it's not actually a Disney tale. It's, um, oh, it's, it's not? an old, old fairy tale, which Disney then in um, took and interpreted. Um, oh. And effectively, yes, Forever Rose has a very, very, very strikingly similar um, signature product, which is the Bella Rose. And... It was an obvious alignment um, in order, you know, in order to sort of see where that could go. We ended up reaching out to Disney Mina, and from there it took on its its own life, um, oh, and wow. ended up being a, an international partnership across Disney Europe as well. And now we're in wow. conversation with Disney US. Um, but obviously, the movie was released in March this year, so yeah. um, they've now uh, licensed, Disney has now licensed the product, and it's available point of sale across Disney stores and of course in wow. Forever Rose um, but they're receiving orders from all corners of the globe now um, for this very because I mean everybody wants a piece of particularly girls you know they yeah. want to relive a piece of, of their, their favourite fairy tale so it's if the it's beast, quite perfect if the beast would, un, would have had this rose <laughs> <laughs> what would have happened exactly so yeah it's, it's quite special but it was um it certainly blew us away uh, to the, the level that that partnership took. Yeah. It's all about just opening conversations and finding those alignments and I quality. And must be so happy because it's like sales exactly all exactly. over and visibility all over. Yeah. And also for this particular client because they're, of course, you know, they are very, very much focused on sales because this is the business, but one of their biggest um, and most important facets of business is to essentially share um, magical moments and to help mm -mm. people create 
you know, long-lasting, incredible memories and and they want to bring magic to the world and that's exactly what this partnership was able to achieve. So sales yeah. aside, it was, you know, brilliantly aligned with their vision. Um, so that was that was fantastic. That's great. And do you have any other fashion stories? Yeah, I mean, obviously celebrities. So we've had like Cindy Crawford and Beyonce and all the Queen Kardashians. <laughs> And Cara Delvine and, you know, the, the models like Rocky Barnes. We've had many a celebrity. So, I mean, as that was sort of a big step for us as an agency to add that in, to see it happening is very exciting. Oh, my God. Um, which, and it's also very exciting for our clients because it's something above and beyond they, yeah. that they thought they were, you know, not necessarily going to get. And so we can now offer brands. And I think in terms of those types of success stories, they're a result as well of clients being willing to take risks with us and know that and trust, you know, our recommendations and understand that in order to achieve those types of results, you know, you need to trust us and and run with it and give it a go. And, you know, it can be a little bit daunting to have to, because these things sometimes cost money. PR isn't a free venture. No, it's Um, not. But if you manage to be... But if, if you, you if you get the results, I mean, if you manage to be, for example, um, any one of the ones that you say, Queen Bee or, or Kim Kardashian or, or Cindy Crawford, hello, mm-hmm. that 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 is a big push. And we have to, you know, we have to reiterate that as well. When you're working with a PR team, you should be, and the beauty of working on a retainer basis is that, of course, you will you have to outlay your monthly fee, but we don't work in any paid. Um, capacity with anybody whether it be celebrities or strategic partnerships or influencers uh, everything that happens within that retainer is effectively based on our relationships so there's so many amazing results you oh, can so achieve. there's no extra there's no. no so i mean it's about the initial investment and then finding the right team to work with knowing they have the right contacts and they are able to tap into strategies that are the best fit for your brand um and then trusting that the results will follow so yeah i know it's that's so exciting wow we need to wrap up girls but it's so interesting i will be with you here two more hours asking more questions <laughs> <laughs> tell me one thing how can our listeners get in touch with you if you just go onto our website which is www.ateline.com and mm-hmm. um, yeah all our contact details are there yeah, perfect. I will uh, add it in the link and in the interview in the podcast and in the article so that our people can also get in touch with you and and uh, if they have more questions they can of course <laughs> they can email us anytime. <laughs> We're here to help. <laughs> so thank you so much for being thank in you. the Wild Fashion News podcast. It was amazing. I learned a lot and uh, and I really thank you for sharing so much information with us. Really, thank you for having us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, that was our interview with Sophie and Brooke from Ateline. They really share a lot of juicy information, right? I really love how many interesting profiles and people we are discovering at Dubai Fashion News Podcast. And they are all contributing one way or another to make this sector to be one of the strongest economic-wise. I really hope you enjoyed the interview and I thank you so much for being there. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and give us your 5-star rating on iTunes. Your 5 stars will allow this podcast to grow and get more visibility within iTunes. And don't forget to leave a comment. Your feedback is super important for us. 
we want to know your thoughts to keep on improving. You can subscribe to our digital magazine also, DubaiFashionNews.com. There you can find also all the archives with past podcasts in case you want to catch up. For example, if you are interested in PR and social media, check the podcast we did with Shamaila Maurer or Emirates Fashionista. She is an amazing influencer and she taught us how to have a lot of followers, likes and engagement on Instagram and also how to network. If you want to communicate with us, come to share your story with us or suggest a topic, send us an email to hello at dubaifashionnews.com or use our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Thank you and see you in the next podcast.